Welcome back to the Asia Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Chan. You can find me on Twitter at jchanpharma or reach me via email, asiahealthcarepodcast at gmail.com. So here's a question I'd like to pose. Have you ever thought of being a healthcare journalist? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are that you fall into one of these three categories of listeners. One, you're a general podcast listener and you happen to find us today. And if this is you, then I just want to say a quick thank you for checking out this podcast. I know that time is a priceless commodity, and so it means a lot that you're here giving us a few moments of your time. But if you're like me just a couple of years back, you'll belong in group number two, which means you're part of the global healthcare community, and you've been looking for perhaps healthcare content focusing on Asia. And to you, I want to say I'm glad you're here, because this podcast was specifically created for you. That's right, a couple of years back, I created this platform so that people can learn more about healthcare in Asia and have a show to tune into once in a while. Now, finally, if you're part of the media, then you belong in group number three, and maybe you're working alongside important healthcare clients and helping them raise their profile. Or if you're a writer or a journalist and you're doing your background research about a company, then I hope that as this platform grows, it will prove to be a very useful source for you as well. But coming back to my original question, to all of my listeners, have you ever wondered what it's like being a healthcare journalist? I'm pretty sure most of us consume news content on a daily basis, and so it's really important to read good reporting from the right sources. And the point I'm trying to make here is that healthcare journalism is a very important part of our industry, as we've seen throughout this pandemic. And as someone who writes a lot of healthcare content, I want us to explore this topic this week, and what better way to do that than to bring in a healthcare journalist who has been covering stories from Asia, Amber Tong. Amber works for Endpoints News, but I'll let her introduce herself a little later in the show. But Amber is someone I've been following for a couple of years now because of her coverage of China Biotech, a beat that I've been covering for the past five or so years. And so this episode, we share our stories and lessons learned while being a healthcare journalist. We talk about how we became writers, what are some of the challenges covering China stories, and we draw some advice we give to future China Biotech reporters. All that and more on today's episode. Today I'm joined by fellow healthcare slash biotech journalist Amber Tong, a senior editor at Endpoints News. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Hi Jonathan, thanks for having me. There aren't a lot of us in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Um yeah, how's how's everything going? How's your summer and um Yeah, pretty good. Our team has grown a lot, so even though the news is busier than ever, I think we're handling handling it well. June was crazy with a lot of breaking news and July we're sort of taking a breather right now. Or so it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking with you recently, um you said you recently moved and I also recently moved, so I guess for both of us, July's been a, a good time for a, a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you and I have probably been reading each other's coverage for years, but never really met until, I want to say, last November. I think it was yep. around na- last November. I think so. Yeah, so we met up for coffee, and it was really fun talking to you about healthcare journalism and that's actually where when I got the idea of doing a podcast with you on this and just to share 
with listeners about our experiences writing about this sector. And yeah, so thanks so much for your time and being able to share your experience. Yeah, no, the feeling is definitely mutual because when we met up, I think I'd been back in Hong Kong for a few months and was trying to just get to know more people in the small biotech world in Hong Kong. So it was fun to hear about your experiences too, because they're quite different from mine. And just to see how you got into healthcare reporting and how that really sort of contrasted with what I have been doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And it, yeah, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> like We've been trying to do this for so long. So yeah, let's, let's just start off with, you know, sharing about who you are, where you're from, and how did you get into healthcare reporting? Sure. Again, I'm Amber Tong. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, but I went to the U.S. for college, um, specifically in Houston, Texas. I've, I've always wanted to be a journalist, even though my degree was in anthropology. Part of the reason why I chose that major was to sort of get exposed to different subject matters and get experience in writing. And I worked for the school newspaper and did some internships. So after I graduated, I was fully prepared for a tough job search because I was warned that if you want a job in journalism in the U.S., you probably have to send out like a hundred applications. I did a tally. I think ultimately I sent out about 80. And I remember stumbling upon the endpoints recruitment notice or the, the, the post and not having no idea what it is. It was, I think they talked about reporting about biopharma which I knew nothing about, but the, the position seemed interesting because it was a mix of writing and copy editing, which was actually, I was probably equally interested in both given my previous internship experiences. And then so I applied and it just so happened that they liked my resume, but also they were hoping to get into more coverage of China biotech. So it was a plus, I guess, that I could read Chinese. So that's how I got the position with Endpoints News. Initially, I started out as an editorial assistant and then just went from there. Mm. So I'd say, yeah, it was completely serendipitous. The funny thing was one of the last internships I did in college, I did some fact-checking and online writing for a magazine that's local. It's called Houstonia. And Houston, as you know, has that Texas Medical Center Baylor, it has quite a um, brawling sort of biomedical enterprise, even though I did nothing. <laughs> I, I wasn't really a medical person. But one of the articles that I remembered very strongly was actually about an implant for HIV drug delivery that one of the scientists, I think, at the medical center was working on. And they were partnered with Gilead. And I sort of, I, I, I didn't know what Gilead, who Gilead was, but I remember that name because it was, I had no idea how to pronounce it. And it was like a memorable company name. And little did I know that I would end up going to like a field where Gilead is a household name and probably reporting on it more than I would ever imagine. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting journey into how you got into healthcare reporting. But now that you're in Hong Kong, I guess what made you move back to your home city? I think the reason is, I mean, it's mostly personal because I wanted to be closer to home and to friends. And as you know, Hong Kong has changed a lot, been in quite a bit of turmoil in recent years. So I mm-hmm. wanted to be here to almost like bear witness. But the other part of it was also, I guess, wanting to cultivate my beat more. 
because I'd been sort of the go to China person on the team. So it was a bit odd that I wasn't actually in China or in Hong Kong. And also, actually, for a couple of years, I was working out of the UK where、um, my family lived. I had some family, so being in the UK was it just felt like it didn't really align with everything. So I thought it'd be good to actually be based somewhere and build connections there. Yeah, well, it's great that you're back, and you know we had a chance to meet up. And yeah, as as you mentioned, there are not that many of us <laughs> yeah, around、sure. healthcare journalists around in in Asia, or、uh, definitely in Hong Kong.、Um, I only know maybe a handful.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've always been curious how because I've always worked at endpoints, and that's the only thing I know. But I know you've worked at a couple of different companies and approached healthcare reporting from a few perspectives. So. I was curious, were the cultures different, or what was it like working at those different companies? Yeah, I guess my background is a little different from yours. I didn't actually grow up or、uh, finishing school thinking I was going to be in journalism. I started off as a medical writer for a few years, and then I did some research report writing for、uh, data analytics companies. So I was really writing long reports, maybe like country reports, summarizing. The healthcare systems of Vietnam or China or different countries around the region, and and then an opportunity came along where I transitioned into writing healthcare news for S and P Global, and then subsequently I I wrote for Stat,、mm-hmm. launching their China newsletter. I guess in terms of differences, S and P we wanted to go into depth as opposed to trying to get the news out quickly. We didn't want to compete on, you know, timing, you know, with Reuters or the Bloomberg. So, you know, I was asked to try to find different angles of stories and maybe go into more depth about、uh, some of the stories.、Um, mm. So I, I had fun doing that. And then with with Stat, we launched the China newsletter. So I was mostly tasked with summarizing what's been happening in China that week and、um, trying to find different、uh, stories and. In that format, but in terms of culture, I guess because I was working remotely、um, with Stat, so I couldn't really take part in their company culture. But I know that Stat is、uh, very innovative; they're very progressive, and you know they have some of the best journalists and writers、uh, covering the sector.、Yeah. So it was really fun, and I learned a lot just from talking to them and learning how they work in that sense. Yeah, for sure. Endpoints has always been remote, so I guess that's part of the. The the culture,、um, but it's always fun to you. You get to know people. We joke that we get to know people through like Slack emojis and gifs and all that. So yeah, so so you guys use Slack mostly, and I guess email as well. Or how how do you, how does your day look actually? Since everyone is sort of working in different time zones and the locations. Yeah.、Um, yes, we communicate mostly on Slack. And occasionally email, but not really on a day-to-day basis. I, I have two different schedules every week. So sometimes I work like the evening shift where I start around 4 p.m.、Uh, I get on, I do a scan of the news and see what's relevant, and I pick probably the most urgent one to start on, and I, I'll start writing.、Mm-hmm. And then everyone else wakes up around an hour and a half or two hours later, and they will also do a scan. But 
or they would pick up on the things that I identified and then they would start writing. And all of us turn in stories around 7 p.m. my time, which is 7 a.m. Eastern time. And then we would push out a morning newsletter uh, with all the endpoints coverage of the morning or the previous afternoon, plus uh, any links from other outlets. Sometimes Stat, sometimes Reuters or Bloomberg that are of interest or relevant to mm-hmm. any biopharma readers. And then we start a second round of stories after that um, for a main report at around 11 something. So it's, it's actually very heavily concentrated in the morning Eastern time so that the readers get the news they need to start the day or actually continue their day. And then in, in the afternoon, I sign off and my colleagues would grab anything that might be rel- that might break in the afternoon eastern time so we we work mostly we communicate on eastern time i guess partly because there's a boston cambridge hub which is a big source of news and partly because a lot of my colleagues are based on either the east coast or in the central time zone so yeah i think we do value in-depth reporting but a lot of times we're also trying to get the news out fast of course we can't compete with reuters or the Bloomberg's of the world, but we try to be the quickest for like the biotech insiders. Mm. What what do your days look like? Um, or these days it's a bit different. Yeah, I guess these days are a little bit different. When I was in S and P, um, we have um, I forgot what it's called now. We have like a content system, so all these like news and headlines come in, and and we I guess similar to you, we look at what's relevant and what's interesting and then uh, we have news writers that uh, quickly push out these news and they, they write it up and then they uh, publish it yeah you know, whereas reporters like myself we try to dig a little deeper and see if there are any interesting stories that can be explored even further so that's when i do some research and make some calls see if people can talk to me and, and put a story together and yeah i think every morning we also have a call i have a meeting with my editor to talk about uh, what the day might look like, what kind of story ideas I have. And we also work with, you know, the U.S. and the London office as well. So sometimes we have uh, meetings with them and, you know, just to make sure, you know, we're on top of things. So, I mean, at first it was it was quite a change of scenery for me. I, I, I went from writing uh, country reports with an eight-week time frame <laughs> to, yeah. you know, new stories where you, you should really turn it out in a, a day or two, right? So. But on this note, I was wondering, like, what your first impressions of biotech reporting were like, because you you already had an idea, and you said you anticipate that this field of work will be first quite tough to find a job in the beginning. But then after you joined Endpoints News, what was your first year like? If you remember anything? Yeah, that's a good question. I was trying to reflect on it, and I think one thing that struck me quite quickly, or I guess a few things. The first is that it's a very structured field, biotech or healthcare. You can fit a lot of the events that are happening into almost like a timeline. Like you have discovery stage and you have um, preclinical stage and you have like phase one, phase two, phase three trials. And even the financings, they have like a coding system like you roughly know what a series a is what a series b is and what a, later you know what a crossover round is so it's 
obviously I haven't reported on other beats of news, but I think this level of structure is you don't find it in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And that took some getting used to and, and my my bosses definitely helped me out a lot in filling me in on that context. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that struck me was how everything is connected. And in some ways, everyone is connected. I guess the more you get into it, the more you realize whenever a new company launches, it's never really... like It's a new company, but it's never really that everything about it is new. Like Probably the, the founder has some history or the drug has some history or the investors had some history with the particular thing they're in- investing in. So I thought that was quite interesting. It's like if, if you just looked deeper there's always a story somewhere or a good angle for a lot of the report uh the 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 news so i really uh, always really enjoyed talking to founders or to like scientists for their startups or for data study publications i think those always sort of gave me insight on the depth and the history that's involved in those stories if that makes sense yeah totally makes sense i i can totally relate And, you know, this flows into my next question, you know, what we explore, what's fun and what's not so fun about how type reporting. And I think you mentioned a couple, like, because there's a lot of times there's a backstory to all these things. And I think one of the fun things I enjoy about type reporting is, I guess, similar to other reporting, you get to talk to people and talk to people about their work, their company, their ambitions and I hadn't actually realized that before joining journalism that I actually enjoy talking to people and understanding, you know, what makes them work and, you know, why do they do what they do. Um, yeah. So in that aspect, I, I quite enjoy it. And in terms of biotech, I think uh, I also enjoy learning about the new science and technologies that different companies are, are trying to work on. I think the, the field is very meaningful in the sense that companies are always trying to find better treatments and better ways to keep people healthy and treat their disease. And I think that's very meaningful for me. Yeah. So I, I'm very supportive of the whole industry and very bullish of the, the market and all these companies. Of course, as a, as a journalist, I, you know, we try to be impartial, but, you know, secretly I, I do want to see every company succeed in what they do and improve our, our healthcare. For sure. No, it's, I think it, it is quite inspiring to hear all the stories and it gives you a special feeling sort of being part of it. We, we do some uh, special reports at endpoints and I guess one of my favorite things to do is to do interviews for those special reports. Sometimes it's honoring women working in biopharma R&D or celebrating, I guess, younger leaders of the industry. And it's always nice to see them in a different light and really hear how they grew up and how they overcame challenges or obstacles. Like you, I think I I enjoy talking to them about their stories. And I often left feeling very, I guess I can say inspired again, and it would lift me up and push me to continue doing my day-to-day work, which as you were saying, (laughs) there are definitely not some not so fun parts. (laughs) A lot of times after I finish the interview i don't want to transcribe it um, <laughs> but transcribing is definitely not fun <laughs> and i hate listening back to my voice so that's one thing i guess the other thing is just distinguishing all the nuances 
about it, which can be fun after you get a hold of it, but it may be not so fun while you're learning. I think you, you, you mentioned spelling drug names. That one's tough. And sometimes if we're reading Chinese, finding those drug names in Chinese is even tougher. Yeah. And I remember, I think when I first started, I had a hard time just figuring out what the words mean. Like I definitely, in one interview, I definitely mixed up an antagonist and an agonist, which is two completely opposite things, but they sounded the same to me at the time. So Yeah, that's a good example. So yeah, all the things you list out, I have on my list as well, pretty much my not so fun list. So spelling drug names. I know the, the drug names are based on the molecule and sometimes can, the configuration as well, but then yeah, when it comes out and they decide this is the drug name, sometimes like when you read it, it's it's not the easiest read, and the spelling is also tricky. And you know, mm. half the time I I don't I don't know how to spell it nor pronounce it, and so it makes it makes up awkward interviews sometimes when you go in and you're not really sure how to say the drug name, <laughs> but then you have to try and like hope for the best. And um, exactly, and I think increasingly it's. The same with company names, because I guess the easy ones are taken and people are <laughs> going for more eclectic names. I think so, yeah. I mean, when you mentioned Gilead, it's funny to us now, but back in the day, and even now, sometimes when I'm browsing YouTube and I come across people who are just learning about the company and they talk about maybe investing into the company, they make up all these like pronunciations like guy, <laughs> guy lead or... Jill Lead. <laughs> so, Actually, yes, it's not a, an easy one to pronounce. Yeah, but then, you know, for, for us, now that we're kind of experienced in the field, it's, it comes out quite naturally now. But yeah, you okay. also, yeah, you mentioned you had a, you enjoyed doing a project about just honoring the woman in the field. One follow up question I have is do you have a um, favorite project or story that you've worked on so far that's been really memorable to you? The most recent one would be, a feature story or a deep dive about CAR-T that I think I mentioned to you earlier, where I really took a look at the question of now that CAR-T is so successful in hematologic malignancies, can it work in solid tumors? What are some of the efforts trying to overcome the hurdles to solid tumors? And it was memorable because after I looked into it, I realized that that might be a slightly inaccurate framing of the question because the work in solid tumors actually started way back and it even predated some of the earliest work in blood cancers or at least the definitely predated the most famous work in blood cancer. So it, it was an interesting exercise in looking back at the history and talking to the key players who were involved and hearing from them actually how the science evolved. And it's never a, a, a linear narrative. It was a lot of people doing different things at different times and then some succeeding and many more failing. And even when you ask them the question of what are the biggest hurdles that's stopping people from developing CAR-Ts that can work against solid tumors, people would have slightly different takes. And even though you can summarize them, they're still slightly different, which is why you see so many different biotech companies or startups trying to tackle that very same challenge. So that was a, definitely a, a cool project that I learned a lot from. You can read it on endpoints if I can plug that. 
Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely share the the link to me so that I can put it in the show notes and direct people to it. But it does sound like a uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Just I think on one hand, because learning about the science is always fun, and there were a lot of intricate scientific understandings that you need to go through. But then on the other hand, it's a big thing that I learned was it's not just about the scientific difficulty. Sometimes it's about cost or some of the historical reasons or personal concerns. So it makes the whole thing very alive to me. And I guess the other project I would highlight, other than the Women in Biopharma R&D, well, which is a team effort, but a personal one that I really and really liked. I guess I couldn't say I enjoyed it, but it relates to my China beat, which was, I think, early in the pandemic, we saw a lot of features on the vaccine development from Western companies. Like you'd see these profiles on Pfizer, J&J, Moderna, BioNTech, and so on. But I thought we didn't know a lot about the Chinese vaccine makers. So Mm -hmm. I tried. I I wanted, what I wanted to do was a Moderna or Pfizer style profile of Canfino or one of the other Chinese vaccine makers. But it, 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 it didn't quite turn out that way because I couldn't get the interviews I wanted. But that experience, I guess, taught me a bit about how to gather information about Chinese companies. And it's very different from how you report on Western companies. But I think that was a memorable project, mainly because of how many times I got turned down. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Should, we should totally explore this point because I totally shared your pain in terms of covering China healthcare and biotech. It is, as you say, it's it's a lot different from, say, covering the US or Europe, where the companies are pretty open to sharing about, you know, even personally, the executives, they're more open to sharing about their own story and yep. the company and some of the things that they're working on. Whereas in, in China, it's a, it's a lot more different in terms of the news source as well. It's Sometimes it's hard to come by. So, yeah, we should talk about, you know, our uh, sources of biotech news, where we get our reading material and leads and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah. I think we, we, we mentioned, um, you know, sometimes using Reuters and Bloomberg. And I'll, I'll say Reuters do a pretty good job at putting out, like, a, a brief, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a few lines of what happened but no analysis. And then somebody writes a more thorough piece later in the day. And same as Bloomberg. But yeah, what, what are your, where are your go-to sources of biotech news? Actually, Twitter is somewhere I get my news from a lot. Oh. Uh, yeah, Twitter is very helpful. But of course, it's mostly for US and European news. I guess because it's a collection of, you get reporters, but you also get investors who are actually some of the closest watchers of public biotechs especially so sometimes you get good corners to sec filings or little things little update from twitter and of course on twitter i I see your updates too which is quite helpful and i guess aggregators are helpful as well there's this site called newsnow.uk and they have biotech and pharmaceutical pages so I would go there to see if we left out anything. I think other than that, the, the news wires and probably a lot of our competitor coverage, those are the things I check every day. Yep. And other than that would be just things I learn about through my connections. 
occasionally I get tips from email or LinkedIn. That's good. Yeah. What What about you? Especially, I think I'm quite thin on the China side. Like I look at the Chinese news sites sometimes, but I don't think I'm very closely in touch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was actually gonna say it's it's interesting that we inform each other. So you mentioned you read my Twitter. I read your stuff. On Endpoint News, I also read Fierce Pharma Asia sometimes.、Mm. Um, BioCentury sometimes has stuff, but most of it is behind a paywall, so I can't really read that much of it. Oh,、uh, sure.、Uh, South China Morning Post sometimes has、uh, good pieces, although I'm, I'm not sure if they have a dedicated healthcare reporter. It feels I- like they have generalists、uh, writing, or maybe they cover a, a couple of sectors. Yeah, I think that's what they do.、Mm. Uh, a couple biotech and like aerospace or something. From what I remember, yeah. Yeah, and in terms of the China side, Chinese media, I follow a ton of WeChat groups. Way too many, and I don't keep up with most of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just you know I try my best to look at it, just scan the list, and if see if anything's. Important and click into it, and even in the story, I I, I just scan through it because I mean English is hard enough, <laughs> and <laughs> now you're asking me to read a lot of Chinese material quickly. So, but I do my best.、Yeah. And then in terms of、um, news outlets, there's Xinhua News, China Daily, FarmCube is good.、Mm. I think you guys work with FarmCube, right? Yeah, we worked with them on a conference, and I've benefited from their database before. So、mm. they're cool. Yeah, they're they're really good. And then I guess the other thing is I sometimes scour the official websites,、mm. the government, like the NMPA, National Medical Products Administration, and then the NHC, National、mm. Health Commission. Sites sites like these, but sometimes they're quite frustrating to navigate because you just open the the main the front page and it's just billions of links. Ping pop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really annoying. And then sometimes the unofficial. Websites—they have pop-ups flying everywhere, and it's—it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, I applaud your patience scouring those websites because I—I've tried, and it just—it. I think it, you need to have a habit of doing it and know what you're looking for in order for that to be useful. And I think so. Yeah, sometimes so for the WeChat groups, right? Sometimes I click into a post, and then someone is writing about like a. Drug approval, and they did. They do a screen cap of、mm. the the listing on, say, like the NMPA website, and then I go to the website and I search for it, and I can't find it, and it frustrates me to the bone because I <laughs> I really want to, you know, have a source on it, but I, I I can't find it. So yeah, that's one thing to add on to the not so fun list. Of covering China biotech, it's just like the data and access is is really frustrating and non-existent sometimes. And no, for for sure, I think you need you need to spend a lot more time, often gathering a lot less information. But whatever nugget you can get, is, I、mm. guess those are hard earned. Definitely, and one. Question I have for you is because I don't have as much experience as you in this area. I think interviewing biotech people from Asia versus U.S. or Europe. Have you kind of sensed any difference in terms of like how people talk to you or, or what they share? Because I, I, to be honest, I've mainly been exposed to maybe Asia 
companies and not as much U.S. and Europe. So I'm wondering if you have noticed any difference. Right. I think one difference that apparent upfront is a lot of the U.S. and European companies they would hire PR agencies or communications agencies to handle their interview outreach. So actually, many times the emails I would correspond with someone or some firm that I knew well, even if that I I or I guess I had worked with, even if I didn't really know the biotech company. In that sense, it's a bit smoother because they that's their job. And then for Chinese companies, I think I I don't often talk to say Korean or Japanese companies mm-hmm. or or Singaporean companies. They're more westernized i suppose but for chinese companies a lot of times it's actually in-house or it's not as clear who i'm talking to unless they also hire a u.s or european firm so that's the first touch point i suppose as for interview style a lot of times chinese executives are more they're more cautious i think Mm -hmm. like you said they may not go as much into their personal stories. There are exceptions, of course, especially those who have worked in the U.S. But in general, I think U.S. and European executives, maybe because they work with VCs and the media more, they know to share things that would make the story a bit more interesting. So their their agencies taught them to share more anecdotes or they would actually have um, analogies ready to explain their technology. I th- yeah. Whereas for Chinese companies, maybe they're, or Chinese executives, they tend to be more straight to the point or down to earth. And you don't get as much of the behind the scene personal intrigue elements to the story. Yeah. It's hard to gen, it's hard to generalize though, because I've definitely talked to American or European executives who are, they give you two sentence or three sentence answers to a question and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can relate to the, the China side. Uh, you mentioned you wanted to do uh, something about the the vaccine makers in China, and mm-hmm. uh, it didn't really work out. And I I definitely have that experience of just trying to find uh, people to talk to, and you know their websites are terrible, the contact email is fake, <laughs> or, or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. So yeah, it's it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, hopefully Chinese companies can become more open and friendly and transparent in the future to us journalists who are working really hard to try to share about their company, you know? Exactly. And I think part of it in doing that vaccine story, part of what people told me was just they're not used to talking to media or Mm. they have to be more careful about the laws and everything. But yeah, like when you talk to Chinese executives, they don't often even tell you like, in the U.S., a lot of the executives will tell you how they got to know the people who, are, who they're working with or how they got to know the scientists. I think that's not as common for Chinese ex- executives, even if maybe their connections ran really deep, you know. And, and I think that's a big part of telling the company's story or helping people understand where it all came from. Hmm. So Interesting. And I assume you do most of your interviews on the phone now that it's COVID season and, um, you know, everyone's just sort of trying to stay away from each other, social distancing. But I want to ask you about your experience uh, covering conferences prior to this pandemic, because I remember you, you mentioned to me you, you've been to a couple, right? 
Yeah, I've been to I've been to JP Morgan, I've been to Bio, uh, and I've been to Esmo. I think those are the three main ones. JPM and Bio weren't really news conferences. They're more for getting to know companies. And I think the first Bio conference I went to was actually during my first year on the job, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and <laughs> I just took meetings that I didn't really know how to use. Like I got to meet some executives and learn about the companies, but they weren't really translating to any stories. But ESMO, on the other hand, it's the European Society of Medical Oncology Conference. So that was a news conference where I was running around to talk to, to like interview people from AstraZeneca or talk to people from GSK. But yeah, just actually getting down to the data they're presenting and understanding the, the significance or what worked and what didn't. So that was, I actually enjoyed ESMO a lot. Mm. Of course, it was, in, it was in Barcelona, which was great. I've never been to Barcelona. But also, I think at conferences, I was more willing or I had more courage to ask questions that I maybe didn't dare asking on the phone, partly because I, I was afraid I would sound dumb. Like, <laughs> I think I didn't really understand why or the significance of progression-free survival until I covered a conference. Because mm. they really hammered on why that was... I mean, there, there's certainly debate around how important it is, but I think I, I didn't really grasp the concept until I covered a conference. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I've never actually been to one of these bigger ones. So, yeah, I've never been to JPM, ESMO, or ash things like that but yeah i've been in awkward situations as well sometimes i join well i may i mainly do the asia ones and then sometimes i join a conference where it's actually a networking event mm. and, and less of like like you said a news kind of exposure event so then they would have these kind of platforms where you try to pair with companies uh, on the website and then you know because i would need to bring something back to my company uh, and make sure they know I'm I'm doing my job and <laughs> bringing stories <laughs> and not just going on the conference for for no reason. I, I try to pair with as many companies as I can, mm. and sometimes it's quite awkward because I either get companies that don't get a lot of exposure and they just want to be to have some media exposure, <laughs> or I I get the slots of good companies that have no other meetings and and they just like. They, they do a pity <laughs> meeting with me or something like that. Uh, and, and the time slots are not as ideal, but then they, you know, some of them are quite nice about it. So it's fun and, and also fun at the same time. I remember going to BioAsia in Japan uh, one year and then I was speaking to a CEO of uh, an Indian drug company and one of their drugs has a pretty poor safety profile and mm. he was telling me how it's not that poor and <laughs> i just remember thinking <laughs> uh, it's not very convincing uh, it does seem like a unsafe drug but mm. it was quite um, an awkward exchange because he was trying really hard to say like this drug is really good and i'm i'm saying well i'm thinking no it's not yeah that's i think that goes to the not so fun list too when people when it's clear that they're trying to put a spin on things and they, they want you to just write what they say. Yeah, so it was kind of a waste of time for for that mm -hmm. one. I decided not to write anything on that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, in our, in our you know, final few minutes, 
yeah, we should wrap up and talk about any advice that we can give to aspiring reporters and journalists and writers who are thinking about you know doing healthcare writing, especially for Asia or China. So, do you have any like keys to being a good healthcare writer for for China or Asia? I don't know. I'm a good healthcare writer for China or Asia. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I I was thinking about it. I think one to start, I would suggest really identifying a, a subsector in healthcare that they want to start out on because it's such a big field. At M1, we we don't cover the whole of healthcare. We just mainly cover drugs and drug development, mm. and that's big enough already. But there's diagnostic, there's public health, there's medical devices. So I think maybe focusing on one field at least to start and and building connections or building um, specialist knowledge there would help. And then I guess from there, getting to know people, whether they're PR people or actually um, scientists or those working in companies, and not being afraid to ask the experts stupid questions would help. I think one thing I learned was that even questions that might sound stupid, they could actually be good questions. There are things that people just assume you know, but then if you ask the questions, maybe it would challenge something or, or force them to actually rethink or explain why it is that this is an assumed knowledge. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I've definitely asked some questions that I thought were really dumb, and then the person who answered said, actually, that's a good question. Or Even if the qu- question you ask is stupid, the answer you get can be really smart, mm. I guess. That's how I would sum it up. Yeah. And finally, just attention to detail, which is, I guess, key to success in anywhere. But especially in healthcare, if you get the drug names or company names or people names wrong, I guess, you can. it can leave a bad impression. And just paying attention to small differences would get you get you a long way in terms of like if you notice the difference between agonist and antagonist, <laughs> you wouldn't make a mistake. What about you? What advice would you give? Yeah, I guess uh, what I would say is don't be intimidated by the sector or the field. As you say, it's mm-hmm. it's such a big field, and there's so many like subsectors as well. So. I think what you said is, is very true. If you can just specialize in one of these subsectors and uh, become familiar with it, read broadly, eventually you'll, you'll start to get a feel of how the sector operates and mm. don't be afraid to ask questions. I think, I think that's, a, that's a really good one. One other thing I'd add is, you know, this isn't something that I guess you can control <laughs> as a journalist, but if you have a great editor and great team and oh, yeah. boss, that really helps a lot. Because you know they'll they'll help you understand and learn more quickly, and, and it's just nice to have have work in a supportive environment. Really, that that's a great point. And I guess a light one at at, at the end is at least if you're interested in the U.S. biotech or biopharma world, read Derek Lowe and his In the Pipeline blog on science. Mm. Quite interesting because he yeah he has a lot of knowledge about how the industry works, and it goes to your point about learning how it operates and he he's always a like a a very fun commentator Mm, good tip good tip (laughs) so as we wrap up our episode how can people follow you and read your work yes well i'm on twitter as at amber tong pw yeah that's part of my chinese name 
And also, you can follow my work on Endpoints News, which is endpts.com. And I'm on LinkedIn as well, I guess. <laughs> Amber Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Do, do, you have, do you guys have any like upcoming projects or events for the second half of the year that you want to mention? Or Yes. Um, we will do the Women in Biopharma R&D report again. Like last year, we'll have an online event sort of honoring the people that we feature in the report. And we should, if it's something like last year, we should have uh, a panel discussion or a fireside chat about how the industry can do more in, to, to achieve true gender diversity and, I guess, diversity in other areas as well. So that should be fun. And you can, again, you can see that on the Endpoints website. Mm, sounds great. Looking, looking forward to it. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Um, it was really fun chatting with you. And thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And make sure to check out Amber's coverage on Endpoints News. She has a lot of fun and insightful stories. And, and I'll put all the links in the show notes. See you next time.
love is like a river. 